passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your UFC 271 post show. I am John Paula, joined as always at this late hour by Phil Chair Talk as we are coming out of UFC 271 from Houston, Texas at the Toyota Center. Hello, Phil. Hi, John. I'm just making sure that there's no uh, feline distractions right now. Yes. She's looking at me with very, very suspicious eyes, but uh, we've got the area controlled here. Yes, yes. You almost got dropped like Derek Lewis on Friday's (laughs) uh, post-daily news show as your cat made its uh, unexpected debut. Uh, But uh, should they make an appearance, they're more than welcome. Uh, we have lots to discuss from tonight's card in Houston, Texas. Israel Adesanya retaining the UFC middleweight championship, defeating Robert Whitaker in their highly anticipated rematch. And uh, first of all, just your your overall impressions of the fight tonight, Phil. Did it live up to your expectations? And did you expect uh, a much closer fight than the first one? Um, I, I definitely... I don't know if I expected a closer fight. Uh, I did expect a different game plan, as we discussed on Friday, and Robert Whitaker clearly showed that. We also talked about the idea of incorporating more wrestling into the fight, and he showed that as well. Uh, but the fight, in terms of living up to the hype, it, it wasn't the most thrilling of contests. Even when um, Whitaker was having success, it just never seemed like he, like Israel Adesanya was ever in danger in this. So um, it it was a bit underwhelming in that regard, but it was still a interesting technical affair. Yeah. I I think that's a pretty solid assessment of Israel Adesanya's game in this. Like um, I don't think you ever felt that he was in any, any meaningful trouble uh, throughout these, these 25 minutes. Um, I I scored it 49, 46 uh, for Adesanya. I saw a lot of 48, 47s for Adesanya. So I think that seems to be the lion's share of the scorecards of how much did Adesanya win. Um, did, did you see any argument that Whitaker uh, could have won three rounds, or do you think that's really stretching things? I, I mean, the, the commentators kept making the point that they were very competitive rounds, and, and they were they were close, uh, but it, it just it just seemed like Whitaker didn't really have too much effectiveness going on. He would land a few shots here or there. He would get sort of a half a takedown before Israel would get up. So I just didn't see enough control and damage out of Whitaker to really give him too much. Now, that being said, I did give him rounds four and five. They were razor thin. And mm-hmm. and at that point as well, it's like I've already given three rounds to Israel Adesanya. So I, I sort of felt like it didn't, you know, I they weren't, as meaningful at that point to give a round to Whitaker. And I know that's not how things are scored, but I'm I'm sort of being a little bit more casual in my assessment. 
no, I want I want hardcore breakdowns, <laughs> calculations uh, to the decimal point of your assignment of damage. So you want a better asse- uh, judging assessment than Robert Alexander? We are going to get spend plenty of time on Robert Alexander, who was just excoriated on this card and justifiably so. Uh, but just uh, going over some of some of the highlights of the this uh, fight, um, you know, Adesanya that that first round he was he was terrific in this opening round. He d- dropped Whitaker with a left jab uh, that was pretty significant, and it was Whitaker really just taking this round of you know very little out of Whitaker. And with Adesanya, it's just his movement, like every every adjustment is the setup for the next. He is constantly in motion, planning ahead, and it is just one constant flow from one sequence to the next. And that's what I watched for 25 minutes here. Uh, Whitaker, you know, as the second round began, he he started to have more success. He got several takedowns. I think by the fifth round, they had noted like four of eight just wasn't able to do a whole lot with these takedowns. Like Adesanya would get right back up. They would clinch a bit against the cage and then Adesanya would break free. And it was Adesanya just lighting him up with, with leg kicks. You could see his rib cage very much reddened from the, the kicks. And that was a lot of the offense uh, from Adesanya. Um, to your point, Phil, like I, I did see some of these rounds close. Um, the fourth would, would be one of them. Uh, Whitaker got a takedown and... From there, Adesanya gets back up, and he was attacking the leg further. And then into the fifth, this was the round I did give to Whitaker. He got a big takedown, uh, pressed Adesanya up against the fence, and this was the first round where I saw where he was really able to shut down the the, the offensive attack from Adesanya. So 49-46 on my card, but I see a 48-47. Like these, these were not blow-away rounds for Adesanya, but uh, of the first four, I just thought, he he did enough, and Whitaker. It was it just seemed like a game plan of get him down, but the idea of keeping him there was not executed. That's right, and there was also a clear element of staying safe, avoiding a certain amount of risk uh, that you know that led to his defeat the first time, and and that was a good strategy, but it also meant he didn't get a lot going. Um, you know, as the fight progressed, the 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 kept engaging in the same way you know uh israel would sort of throw a lead and then robert would counter with his left and and had some success with that yeah 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 and as the fight went on he was getting more and more of those i think even in the last round he outstruck uh adesanya so he was having success but it was never in combinations it was never at a point where there was ever a threat the biggest threat was a moment where he had the back in the fourth round uh, but even then it, it was very minor so a lot of improvements over the previous fight a lot of things to praise but ultimately there was just never any moment where robert whitaker really was in command of this fight yeah um one note uh, that we should have mentioned right off the top um, in an update uh, for those that listened to us on Friday was uh, the late change we heard on Friday that that Joe Rogan was off the card uh, due to a scheduling conflict uh, because he had a... Oh, Now's the oh, time. Oh. Now's the time. Now. That was the cue. That's, that's our cue. Joe Rogan. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joe Rogan apparently had a prior engagement. Um, he was scheduled to watch the pay-per-view from home and text John Anik during the middle of this fight to alert John Anik that 
Adesanya might have a right hand injury from Joe Rogan's uh, assessment here. Um, but there, there were numerous chants for Rogan from this crowd in, in Houston, Texas. And then we got the, uh, the very odd text uh, relay from John Anik during this fight. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, it's not completely unusual for uh, Joe Rogan to miss a domestic pay-per-view with a scheduling conflict. I mean, he has Co- uh, comedy concerts sometimes, but usually those are booked a few weeks or maybe months in advance. I guess, you know, there was high I mean, demand he lives, for he one. He does live in Texas <laughs> and he was at home watching this pay-per-view. You, you, you think this call came from, I think this call came from ESPN or Disney, right? Like it was, this wasn't a UFC call. Yeah, you, we were talking about it on, on Friday and the idea of, like, would this have been a Rogan call? And it's like it, the Disney ESPN side of this equation makes the most sense that I, I, I didn't th- I would think of all the parties, um, UFC would be the last one, I think, is making that call. And he was scheduled. He was scheduled for the show. Mm-hmm. So they obviously had no issue. Um, Rogan pulling himself. Um, the fact that he was attached to this would suggest that he was more than willing to do it. Um but ESPN Disney, I think, does make the most sense. And maybe we will get um, Joe Rogan, like himself, a- addressing this and and what the call was or not. Like if it was a Disney ESPN call, maybe everyone's just going to keep quiet and just put their attention to the next card. But if they were going to keep quiet, you'd think they wouldn't even bring him up on the broadcast, you know? If- well, I was very surprised that John Anik mentioned this. Like this just called great att- – like this really just put a hole in their – public statement about uh, a scheduling conflict i mean it's just such a glaring mm-hmm. issue that yeah he's at home watching the pay-per-view I'm, maybe maybe that's maybe that. that's the intention right maybe like you know it's a it's a complicated thing right there's a lot of uh you know this isn't some simple uh trivial mma story right so it's not it's a massive national story it's like ufc does control like they run their broadcast but you are also in business like your broadcast partner is espn and disney and as we saw during the pandemic, like when they wanted to run on the reservation, like, you know, that and, was Disney, like and, saying, listen, and, this is not happening. And Disney hasn't had a great year, right? That great couple of years. I mean, what it was, how long ago were we on here talking about Gina Carano, right? And then just last week, they had to deal with Whoopi Goldberg. Like, it, so yeah, they want to avoid controversy. I'm sure if things settle down, they'll be happy to have Rogan back. But this week, when it's just so much smoke and fire, just put it on the back burner. And it was, I thought the commentary was great, actually, tonight. I I, I honestly, like, listen, you listen to six hours, you're going to have your gripes at different points of the broadcast. I thought Michael Bisping did a pretty admirable job. And especially considering the fact that I would imagine 48 hours ago, he was not aware he would have been doing this show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's the best person on the UFC roster personally and uh, i think him and Cormier have a good rapport even when they're disagreeing there's a lot of insight in there and back and forth that i really enjoy they had a they had a good chemistry i thought on the show so israel adesanya retains the championship and after is asked about where and when he wants to fight next and he had a pretty solid timeline of coming back in june to defend this title and it would seem that after tonight uh, jared cannonier is the clear front runner and I could see the only interruption being if he sustained any kind of injury or can't come back in that time frame that Adesanya is willing to. I guess that would benefit a, a Sean Strickland because that seems mm. to be your your next in line. 
Yeah, I think UFC is always happy when the champ says, I want to be back in a few months and there's a number one contender lined up that makes all the sense and it's not going to be a tough negotiation. Izzy signed a new deal this week. Cannoneer's happy to take the title fight. So it's something to look forward to in June. Pretty interesting fight. Cannoneer's a very tough competitor. And uh, uh, I don't know if we want to talk about that fight ahead of the co-main. Uh, sure. We can, we can just bounce over there because it, uh, it dovetails nicely from the, the main event. It was a Jared, Jared Cannonier and Derek Brunson, uh, Brunson coming in with a five fight win streak, blonde Brunson here. Uh, and <laughs> not for long. Well, he would, yeah, he would get a, he would, he would get a rebranding by Jared Cannonier uh, by the end of this. Uh, but Brunson, he took the first round and nearly finished him. Uh, you saw him immediately going for the takedown early in the fight. And then in the, Last couple of seconds, Cannoneer walked into a right hook and gets dropped. And Brunson gets the back. He applies a choke, but it's it's not deep enough. Cannoneer is able to ride out the last couple of seconds before the horn goes. Uh, but a solid round for Brunson. However, he was very tired in the second. Uh, they're in the clinch, and Cannoneer stuns him uh, and drops him, hits him with an elbow, um, and he's done uh, with the the elbow finishing uh, the fight at four minutes, 29 seconds of the second round as Jared Cannonier, uh proclaims that he turned blonde Brunson into blood Brunson. Yes. He had, there, he, this was the last of many exciting uh, post fight uh, speeches on there, the card. There were some good ones tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, made, uh, Cannonier making it clear that he's the number one contender, letting forcing Dana White to give him a verbal contract. Right, Dana there was the- clearly not paying attention to this because he had to yell <laughs> to get this guy's attention before he announced, I am the next contender. There's no one else. And that's not any hyperbole. Like, they're really, you can throw Sean Strickland. That's quite the departure, I think, for, or at least the, the gap at the moment between mm-hmm. him and uh, Israel Adesanya. It should be Jared Cannonier. There's no reason it should not be. It's not oh, for a, sure. a division that is loaded with contenders. And he's a rightful winner, like, yeah. uh, of that role. He, you know, coming down from light heavyweight, he's only lost, I think, once in the division. It was to Robert Whitaker. So, yes, really impressive performances. Really incredible how, you know, this former part-time fighter has really turned into one of the best in the world, found a home at middleweight, and is, is I mean, it was looking bad, as you pointed out, right? He was defending takedowns well, but then Brunson finally got them in. And we know that Brunson can keep that up for round after round after round. Um, and then after he had uh, dropped him at the end of the first, it was looking really bad. But Cannoneer stayed poised, uh, was able to land a shot that really hurt Brunson early in the second. And then now ultimately swarmed on him and finished. He just seems so strong, so good at the takedown defense. But, you know, Izzy's not going to try taking him down. So, But it's still an interesting fight because if he lands, he hurts you. Derek Lewis and Tai Tuivasa. Uh, this was Derek Lewis returning to his hometown after the loss to Cyril Gone last August. And uh, Tai Tuivasa came out to Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Uh, and he had a lot of fun in this fight. Uh, the first round saw uh, leg kicks right out of the gate from uh, Tuivasa. There was a lot of clinching here. And then a high kick is thrown by Lewis. And he throws with the right, goes for a takedown that gets blocked, but then gets the trip and just starts attacking Tuivasa with strikes. They get back to their feet, and Lewis definitely wins the first round. The second, 
Lewis is landing several in the center of the octagon. Uh, Tuivasa gets hurt, stops a takedown, and lands a knee and an uppercut. And then Tuivasa answers with his own strikes. And there's an elbow that softens Lewis. And then a follow-up right elbow. And Lewis just face plants at a minute 40 as he is stopped by Tai Tuivasa. I would say an early contender for knockout of the year. From the the visual standpoint of 266-pound Derek Lewis face planting, it was a devastating loss here uh, for Derek Lewis and not a great homecoming once again. Yeah, Houston is not so uh, friendly to uh, Derek Lewis. Uh, Really exciting fight. Lewis with a couple of takedowns in this one. Uh, Was not expecting that. Tivasa showed a lot of poise stayed with it in bad positions, was eating a ton of brutal shots in that first there round. There are not many heavyweights that would have taken those amount of strikes that, that Tuivasa absorbed. Yeah. And, you know, this guy who not that long ago was just a joke, the guy who just drank beer out of a shoe, he's now a legit contender. Like, this was a very skillful performance, as wild of a fight as it was. And uh, as we've talked about previously, he's got a dedicated training camp. And uh, entire lifestyle devoted to, you know, becoming a UFC champion. So uh, it's he's going to continue to get featured in big fights. Uh, it's just that it's a pretty thin division. So I'm not entirely sure uh, who the right person to match him up with would be. Um, you know, Surreal Gone is, is, you know, if you really want to accelerate him. But that as the, you know, that doesn't seem like the most exciting of options right now. So the post-fight press conference has just begun, and Dana White is, uh, I guess, uh, doing the press conference right now. And uh, from from Alexander Lee at MMA Fighting, noting that uh, Dana just said that there was no scheduling conflict with Rogan. Shocking. Okay. Calls it bu- calls it bullshit, and that oh. it could have worked tonight. Uh, Nolan King adding that uh, Dana White says Joe Rogan elected not to work the event, and that it wasn't the UFC or anyone else who didn't oh. let him work. Oh, okay. So you know, that's you at know, least coming from Dana White. Yeah. And look, you, uh, Joe Rogan is a, the biggest celebrity on almost on most of these cards. But it's not about him. It's about the fighters. So I suspect he probably made the call uh, that, you know, it's we should feature the fighters, not me. And so. I, I thought you brought up a great point on Friday. It wasn't just the idea of kind of this this elephant in the room of him being on the broadcast for that amount of time. It was probably a lot of fighters would have been bringing it up in their post-fight interviews, mm-hmm. like messages of support. And I could mm-hmm. I could certainly see Rogan realizing, like, I am going to be um, – I'm going to be the center of attention on this show among the fighters. And it, and it was going to overshadow uh, the event. I think if he, if he was on this um, also adding uh, from the press conference uh, performance of the night to tie to Ivasa and Jared Cannonier, whose fights we just went over and fight of the night uh, was on the early prelims with Douglas, Douglas Silva, D'Andrage and Sergey Morozov, which we will get to. It was a, a hell of a fight between those two, uh, but we move on uh, down to, Alexander Hernandez and Hanato Moicano. Moicano is now fighting at lightweight. He's seven and four in the UFC. His losses, listen to this, his four losses, Brian Ortega, Jose Aldo, Korean Zombie, and Rafael Fazeev. Mm-hmm. You're going to have four losses. That's, that's and, a pretty strong. And then he, there's some wins in there against some monsters too, right? Uh, uh, he's, he, he had a, a 
pretty good run at, at Calvin Cater, Cub Swanson. Like those are no jokes. Calvin Cater looks like a great win today. Yes. Um, so very close first round between the two. I, th- I thought that Hernandez kind of like edged it out here, but very, very close round. Moicano then in the second ducked the shot and struck him with a left hook, followed with a right hand and sends him down with a knee and just hit him with more strikes before applying the rear naked choke and submitting Alexander Hernandez at a minute 23 of the second round. So he is now three and one since moving up to lightweight and just cut this promo after the fight about how Brazil treats its athletes, how he loves being in America. I love big stakes and big checks. He was uh, pissed at how people are not aware of this coach of his that's been a black belt for 30 years. I mean, he just was getting every grievance out in this in this interview afterward. Yeah, I was a little all over the place at first. I was confused. I wasn't really enjoying it at first, but he was able to pull it together. And uh, ultimately, it was uh, a very good promo on a night of very good promos. There were a lot of... Uh... Guys with uh, very clear messages after after their fights. And opening up the pay-per-view was, uh, I would say, outside of Adesanya and Derek Lewis, the most popular guy on this card might have been Bobby Green. Uh, taking yeah. Nasrat Hakparast at 155 pounds. And I just thought this was a brilliant performance from Bobby Green. I thought he won all three rounds. He was the just such a significantly quicker fighter uh, than Hakparast, who was constantly just... Uh, just total volume puncher and hack Parast was just throwing individual shots. He could not keep up with the speed of green who was constantly getting through his guard, then would go to the body. And it was just a, a, a 15 minute assault from Bobby green, who is just, his conditioning is terrific. As we have seen, he's 35 years of age, but it just seems that he has like, when this guy is on, he looks like an elite lightweight and you look at his record and it doesn't necessarily reflect that, but this was another performance where uh, th- this guy felt like a, a upper echelon 155 pounder. Oh, absolutely. As you mentioned, he had such a great reception from the crowd. I, I uh, facetiously called him my favorite Diaz brother because of the way that he conducts himself in, in the fight and his fighting style. Uh, it's super exciting. He, he trash talks. And uh, one thing that he does that isn't really a Diaz brother skill is he has incredible defensive movement. And he has the mm-hmm. best shoulder roll in MMA that I've I seen because he will just take that and he'll take shots. And sometimes he will get hit pretty clean, but he, he's able to just deflect so many of the shots by just tucking his chin into his shoulder and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy watching him, and I I think he needs to be a, a, a headline a, a fight night. You know, he, there was that fight with Fazeev. It was a three rounder where he looked good in the last round. I'm not saying run that back right now because you know Fazeev's on a different path. But I want to see him in a five rounder. I want to see him in a fight night main event. I think that'll be really exciting. I'm really excited to see what he gets next at, at lightweight. Like I've always been a fan of his style, but it just seems in this, w- what was a real big turning point. I think for people was that crazy stretch he had during the pandemic. It was like June till October of 2020. And he fought like four times and it was just, it was like he was fighting every two weeks is what it felt like. And now that he's, you know, beating a quality guy in hack parast, um, this, you know, and you know, you look at this lightweight division. I mean, he's not, he's not even ranked this. Mm-hmm, hopefully, yeah. 
uh, get it, get him into the top 15 and, uh, does Gregor uh, Gillespie have a fight booked? That was the name I was thinking of. It was was Gregor Gillespie, um, with, with his wrestling against this unique style of Bobby green. I like that fight a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was number 10. Yeah, because there's some other great names in the division, but I want to see Bobby featured against somebody who's like a little bit popular and could propel him into bigger fights. You know, you go down and you've got, uh, oh, you've got like three killers in a row. Sarukian, Brad Riddell, those are, those are solid tests. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not getting any easy ones at the top of the team here. Yeah, that's right. Uh, But yeah, great performance. And then another great post fight speech. He managed to flip the bird to the crowd as a baby face. What, what they, all che- they all cheered and he just did, did the walk off. It was it was great. Like a terrific speech from from Bobby Green. Like a real like star solidifying a star type of performance. You know what I mean? Like I think Bobby Absolutely. Green has always had that 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 kind of popularity and it just really just coalesced in this in this fight and with this crowd in Houston that loved him. So a big night for uh, one Bobby Green. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. On the uh, the televised prelims, Andre Arlovsky against Jared Jared uh, v- Vandra. And they went three rounds here. Um, Arlovsky, I mean, it just... It defies all logic. The man is 43 years of age. Uh, after this fight, he has now won five of his last six. Um, great timing with his right hand. I thought that was the key in the in the first two rounds as he was just getting the better of the striking, um, even though Vandro w- was landing. And then in the third round, uh, that was Vandro's round. He was using a lot of uh, kicks, clinches in the fence, and uh, counter shots that were the difference in that round. Andre Orlovsky got the split decision win as a... Uh, the judge that we will be discussing had the lone dissenting scorecard for uh, for Vandera, uh, but the right guy won in this instance with Arlovsky winning by split decision, and it's just remarkable that at 43 years of age he is like on this great run at heavyweight. Yeah, and he looked like he was having fun in there by the third round. Even though uh, I didn't give him that round, he he was he was shuffling his feet a little bit. He was really comfortable with his movement. I think that was actually the big difference because he was able to to through the first two rounds move away land his jab vandera wasn't able to do anything until the third round where he closed the distance landed some shots um but even didn't do too much there either but yeah amazing story 43 years old looks in great shape and uh yeah it's i mean he's not going to challenge for a title anytime soon but still uh very impressive to see him uh competing at such a high level are these the kinds of heavyweights you, you put at Arlovsky? Like it's Arlovsky is an unranked heavyweight fighting largely unranked heavyweights and he, and he's doing well against them. Like how, how high do you go with, with Arlovsky? Like, do you, do you put him against um, so, someone of note in that kind of top 15, top 10 mix, or is this sort of just 
it's kind of like a gatekeeper role of, <sighs> you know, aspiring I mean, heavyweights. I definitely think it's a gatekeeper role, but I was just like looking down this list and amazingly enough, Andre Arlovsky has never fought Derek Lewis. So let's oh, just do that. What do you let's want to just... do to poor Arlovsky? I mean, I look, I, it's you're Derek Lewis is somebody who's like, on the outside of the upper echelon, Arlovsky's put some wins together. We can't have him constantly going against unranked guys. You got to give him a ch at least a chance. I don't know. At, at worst, Lewis is going to fall to like fifth after this. Like Arlovsky isn't even in. He's not even smelling the top 10 at, at this point. I, I think that would just be a little, I think that would be way too much for Andre Arlovsky. I want to, I want to uh, see this man preserve himself. I have more you, faith. Okay. Uh, Roxanne Modafferi and Casey O'Neill. This was Roxanne Modafferi's retirement fight. Um, and Casey O'Neill just looked great in this fight. Um, according to like 99% of the people uh, that viewed this fight. And unfortunately, that 1% uh, had a scorecard. So Casey O'Neill was just terrific in this fight. She was so much faster with, with her strikes. Modafferi, to her credit, like stood with her for three rounds. It probably wasn't the, the best game plan because O'Neill was just so much faster and was just getting the better of the striking. That was the story of the first round. In the second, you were seeing Modafferi taking a lot longer break in uh, breaks in between her striking. And O'Neill was adding leg kicks on top of it, piling up in the final minute and just roared, literally roared in Modafferi's face, like just screamed at her. And Modafferi responds by getting the first takedown of that she attempted all fight and gets her down in the final seconds, but would not revisit any kind of wrestling in the third round. Um, they, they continued to stand. O'Neal landed a spinning back fist. And then, after, sorry, it was Modafferi that landed the spinning back fist. And O'Neal came back with a front kick. Um, just a huge output from O'Neal and uh held her up against the fence at the end. It was just a gigantic disparity in significant strikes landed between the two. Um, a game performance from Modafferi, but it was just, she was against a fighter that was just a, a, a league above. I mean, that's that's just the nicest way to say it. So then we go to the scorecards and they read 29-28 Modafferi. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> I was like, I am did not hear that right. Bruce Buffer has clearly misread the scorecard. Then it's 29-28 O'Neal. I was like, this this is just unbelievable. Like I'm, I'm I was thought like a 29-28 card for O'Neal is not doing her justice here. I, mean, <laughs> I think I think seriously, I thought the 29-28 card for O'Neal was kind of egregious in and of itself, much less a 29-28 for Modafferi. Thankfully, there was a 29-28 for Casey O'Neal to give her the win here. Um but the judge was Robert Alexander that scored this fight for Roxanne Modafferi, and the broadcasters just roasted him. John Anik brought up him by name, noting that prior to tonight, he has turned in a grand total of three prior decisions. He judged, uh, or he put in two decisions in 2020 at the UFC 247 event in Houston, and then... Uh, was the judge for one decision in 2021 when they were in Houston last summer at UFC 265. So this was the fourth card he has ever turned in, uh, according to MMA decisions. And they were just perplexed by this. Um, I I had this a solid 30-27 for O'Neal. Like, I, I don't even know how you get a 29-28 
for Casey O'Neill. I just thought this was a very, very easy fight to score. Uh, I agree. I had it uh, 30-27. I'm just trying to look at where I even have like a note for, you know, it's very little notes for Montefiore, just like being aggressive. I guess a third, but like, man, I I, I don't know. uh, Yeah, I, I... I maybe just the shiner, you know, people saw the shiner on Casey O'Neill. It's look, clearly this person is not qualified, so it's not even worth it to talk about because it's just like it's just Well then he judged the next fight after this. It's not even like he got pulled and then yeah. he turned in the card for, for Vandra in the very next part. Now the very next fight. And this is also Texas, right? This isn't the first time we've had unqualified judges in Texas. We continued. Like, it's just going to keep happening. Well, uh, that was just... It it just feels like people get favors, right? It's just like a favor. It's like some guy who's judged some fights or whatever. It's just like it's connections at the commission. He wants to do the UFC, so he gets the job or something. Like, Because there's no other rationale. It's not like... If you're a proper commission, okay, you want to bring up some people who are, you know, you've got your big dogs who do every event, but you need to pull in people a little bit to get that experience, not somebody with no experience whatsoever. It's, yeah, it's uh, Texas. Do do regional shows. It's like the the idea that that someone is being thrown into these major fights. It's just, it's just ridiculous when you're looking at the level that the sport is at. You start on the prelims, then they come to the the next part of the card, then they get a main card slot, and then one day they get a main event slot. That's how it it should be for the refs as well, and it generally is, but they're sort of in fewer supplies, so I think it's uh, easier to Maybe we'll add worst worst scorecard at the end of the year, because this would be the front runner this year. It's pretty bad. This is the equivalent of like a... Zhang Wei Li and Yoda Yang check this early in the fight. Like it's it's the clear cut favorite. And I don't know if any any scorecard will 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 top it uh in terms of a, a front runner for an award. Uh, uh let's Kyla- uh let's maybe just not uh another great post fight speech here from uh oh, yeah. Casey. Yeah, Casey yeah. She, she had another good one too. <laughs> You I just drop this... the F word. You, you just say fuck, and uh, well, it, it's guaranteed crowd, a pop. So the crowd is booing her just because they love uh, Roxanne, and so she's like, "Don't boo me." Well, you know what's going to happen then. Then she's like, "Okay." She flips them off, says, "Okay, you want me to be the villain? I'll be the villain. Screw you, or whatever." F you. I people. thought Casey O'Neill was awesome. Yeah. I thought this yeah. was a terrific performance. A great speech afterwards. I, I thought she was great. She was great throughout the week in leading up to this. She's a very promising flyweight, and I you um, get look great. Put her on the co-main of that Bobby Green fight night. Uh, event. This, okay, there we you're, go. you're I'm, building I'm, up the, uh, a hell of a fight night. Yes, yes. So live from uh, the apex. Yes, enter to the <laughs> apex. Kyler Phillips and Marcelo Rojo. Uh, they went uh, into the into the third round here. Phillips uh, won the first two rounds, and then in the third, uh, he scrambled to get the side control, moved to mount, and then went for a mounted triangle and ended up with a triangle armbar uh, that Rojo could not escape and tapped out at a minute forty eight of round number three. So uh, Kyler Phillips uh, gets his fourth win in the UFC. Very exciting prospect. His last fight, which was a loss, was a really good fight. Uh, 
just super exciting style, extremely well-rounded, was really hard on himself after the fight, even though uh, it was a clear win. I guess he was unhappy with the third round, uh, maybe or just unhappy with the fact that he didn't get the finish, but uh, a very exciting fighter, somebody to keep an eye on for sure. Carlos Ulberg defeated uh, Fabio Charant by unanimous decision. Uh, he won all three rounds. Um, this is a very good-looking man. They were mentioning many, many times on the broadcast. Sharant uh, in the in the opening round, it was uh, this is where we first heard the uh, the, the Rogan chants. And uh, anyway, they into the third. Olberg is just attacking him, placing him up against the fence, and really just picking him apart. And won thirty twenty seven on all three judges' scorecards. Uh, Carlos Olberg also part of uh, City Kickboxing, so uh, attached with Israel Adesanya, as they mentioned. Yeah, very technical performance here. Um, the only thing is that Sharant didn't really show too much. So as good as Olberg looked, it's hard to draw uh, you know, too many conclusions. But definitely very technical, very skilled kickboxer. So I'm curious to see him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he landed like a pair of shots in the in the first round, but it was it was just very little output in the second and third and just kind of got picked apart with his back up against the fence. And then the early prelims, uh, I'll just read the results here, and then we can talk about some of the, the highlights. Uh, there was certainly one fight that was uh, terrific. Uh, Ronnie Lawrence defeated Mana Martinez by unanimous decision, uh, two scores of 29-27 and one having it 29-28. Jacob Malkoon uh, took on A.J. Dobson. Dobson uh, trains with Mark Coleman, who was in his corner, and uh, Malkoon won by unanimous decision, straight scores of 29-28. Um, Malkoon lost the first round pretty convincingly, but then came back in a big way in uh, rounds two and three and just dominated him with like six takedowns and like 124 ground strikes. So Malkoon really turned it around. Douglas Silva, D'Andrage, and Sergey Morozov uh, took place at 135 pounds. Silva D'Andrage got cut so badly in the first round. This fight was in danger of being stopped. And then he turns it completely around in the second. He rocks Morozov multiple times before getting his back and eventually securing the choke. And uh, Morozov goes out. This was a terrific fight. Totally worthy of fight of the night. Yeah, back and forth battle. Uh, Well, the first round was actually pretty one-sided. And then then, uh, De Silva came back in the second round. I mean, Morozov was looking super sharp. He was landing his strikes. He was uh, effective with the takedowns. But yeah, Douglas uh, Silva, Dandrad, you know, don't uh, count him out ever because uh, he will he will come back. You know, he's a type of fighter that uh, he's shown he's very resilient, and uh, you have to be prepared to put it on him for all three rounds. And then Jeremiah Wells submitted Mike Mateta in 438 of the first round with a rear naked choke and opening up the card, moving up to heavyweight because uh, William Knight missed weight by 12 pounds. So their light heavyweight fight uh, was not to be. Instead, they they fought at heavyweight and Maxim Grishin defeated William Knight by unanimous decision. All three judges seeing it 30-27. And that was UFC 271. It was a good card. I mean, the the main event was a little bit lackluster in terms of the action. Uh, very technical, highly skilled contest. Watching Adesanya move is a treat. But it wasn't the most thrilling uh, of main events. But outside of that, the card was very good for the most part. Great promos, a lot of exciting finishes. Um, 
So I, I'd say it's mostly worth your time to check out uh, if you missed it. Yes, some some great interviews um, and, and some some big performances for Taito Ivasa, for Bobby Green, for Casey O'Neill. I thought like really big. Um, Jared Cannonier. Jerry Cannonier, certainly you have to include it in that mix as well. Should clinch his uh, hopes for a, t- for a title fight coming out of tonight. So um, b- very noteworthy card, I would say. And as we look at the, the weeks coming up, so next weekend was supposed to be the RDA Rafael uh, Fazeev fight. But due to a visa issue, that fight has now been moved to the pay-per-view on March 5th. So next weekend, the big main event is Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill. I mean, I mean, I'm not one to judge the quality of fight night uh, main events. That's that role is reserved for our own Eric Marcotte. But uh, I would imagine he would put this in the uh, very low on the history books. It's too bad because they had quite a stretch here of like big main events um, coming up because the following weekend is Benil Dariush against Islam Makachev. And that is a huge fight at lightweight to you know, catapult one of those two into a major, major position at 155 pounds um, after we presume Justin Gaethje gets the next fight with Charles. Yeah. And that Fazeev fight was a a really great one too. So it's good that it's, you know, it's not going to be delayed too much and it's going to beef up that pay-per-view. We still get to see it. Um, Yeah. Yes, that will be March the 5th. That's the next time Phil and I will be back. March the 5th with UFC 272, headlined by Colby Covington and uh, Jorge Masvidal. Uh, It's got RDA and Fadziv. We've also got Edson Barbosa and Bryce Mitchell in action. Greg Hardy against Sergey Spivak. Uh, Kevin Holland, Alex Oliveira. uh, Those are some of the highlights. Uh, Yao Xiaonan versus Marina Rodriguez. So some very good fights uh, on on this card. Yeah, pretty good fights, but it seems like it's it's all about again that main event, that Masvidal Covington grudge match, if we can call it that. If this is any type of real rivalry or just for show, but it's still an interesting fight, and I think Colby Covington remains a very relevant uh, fighter at welterweight. So I'm curious to see how he bounces back, and you know how this sort of rivalry does conclude. And a rare pay-per-view where we have no title fights, but two five-round fights scheduled. It's the lineal BMF uh, title. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. That will be at stake. So that is the next time we will be back uh, in three weeks' time. So look out for that. Uh, Phil, as always, great to chat with you. Uh, what, what is going on? How was the Discord tonight? Discord was hopping. There was a lot of people uh, making predictions. We also had the Olympic predictions going on, thanks to Dickie Bird, who's so diligent with uh setting those up tomorrow night is the big game trademark and uh will be uh if i've so never understood you, that you can't uh, like you and i can't say super bowl we can say super bowl we can't use super bowl in some type of uh, promotional material so we can't say hey bo- come to boston pizza for super bowl weekend right and enjoy unlimited wings unless we pay the super bowl licensing fee did you consider um, doing that? Uh, okay, don't don't tell the man what we're doing here, John. This is we're we're, we're it's a shoestring operation in, in Aurora. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> good luck with that. Uh, who's who's going to win tomorrow? Oh, uh, it's a tough game. We've got the Bengals versus the Rams. Uh, 
I'm going to give it to the Rams. Sean McVay, this is his second time there. Matt Stafford, veteran QB. The, uh, the Bengals are a really fun team. They have a great QB. Really exciting. But uh, I think the Rams are going to take it. Do you make like a day of it? Do you watch a lot of the, the pregame stuff? Or is it just the game you're interested in? Um, I used to make a day of it. I used to even have like a little Super Bowl party uh, with like just like some a small group of friends. Um, but no, I don't really watch the event. I am excited for the halftime show. So yes, I am too. I actually, I'm only going to tune in for the halftime show. Yeah. So last year was the weekend. Who's like one of my favorite contemporary artists. And then this year it's, if you haven't heard, it's Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige and Kendrick Lamar. And, uh, like I was a massive Eminem and Dr. Dre fan. I love Kendrick Lamar. You know, Mary J. Blige gets the respect. Snoop Dogg, Doggy Style was like one of the first records that I owned and loved. I was terrified, uh, at the, at the record store because I gave it to my mom to buy. And it's like, there's all this sexual imagery. There's the parental advisory logo. But thankfully, my mom was an immigrant who didn't understand so well what these things meant and i pumped that shit all the time so yeah i'm very excited for the halftime show uh what do you think they'll have a tupac hologram oh wow um that's that's kind of interesting is that uh is that a widely rumored potential outcome it, well so a few years ago at coachella when dr Dre yeah, played yeah, a yeah, show they, he did that so i think it, it's just there's just that question out there it's like so what, 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 about some... an, what about an easy E hologram? I don't know. Has there been an easy E hologram well, so you far? Debut it at the Super Bowl. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bring back, you know, the living members of NWA. Throw in Easy E. Throw in Tupac. You have the Death Row Records reunion as well. Maybe you can even get Suge Knight there. Just have a real party. All, all potential for this. Uh, this will be the, the most incredible halftime show. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's the most, it's the, it's definitely the diff, biggest departure that the NFL has ever made. I mean, have they ever had a rap artist on the, on at all? Like, I can't even think of a rapper who's been on. And now you're going to do an entire halftime show dedicated to rappers, pretty much, minus, you know, Mary J. Blige. So, uh, it's I don't know. It's an exciting turn of events. You know, the the halftime show is often really hokey, but I think because there's enough of a different of a enough an interest here around these performers, uh, I'm pretty ex excited about it. All right. Well, uh, that is happening on on Sunday night. The game, the big game, as they call it, the uh, <laughs> the big the big contest uh, that's going down, uh, and that's going to wrap things up. So we will be back on Monday. Way and I will be live at 1 Eastern with the post-daily news update and then rewind to Raw Monday night at 11.15 Eastern. Uh, Phil's must-listen-to show every single every single week. Uh, rewind to Raw is, is my must-listen-to show. Yes, I mean, yes. if I, like, I, I, I mean, if I, you know, sometimes if, I, if I'm, you know, really feeling like I want to hear the misery in your voice, then yeah, that's, that's, 
that's what I, I try to. Uh, Phil, I'll, Phil's I'll never listen listened, to. but but there's always. I've there's never always listened to. I've listened to. I've listened to. I've listened to Rewind to Raw more times than I've watched Raw in the last uh, twenty years. That's for damn sure. Okay. Okay. So he sampled it once. So that's what he is saying. He's being very <laughs> no, kind. No. Oh please. Oh please. Oh please. I listen to your show. Of course, I listen to your show, John. Not oh, all I the appreciate time. it. I, I I hope your podcast is coming back sometime soon. You just <laughs> you know you you peaked with me, and I think you're just scared. I to try. did. Like, I, I did. How can I possibly top that great interview I did? With I John did Paul peak with you. If anybody wants to know why the podcast is back, all you need to do is go on Ariel Helwani's show and then uh, listen to him talk to anybody else who does podcasts. So this week he was talking to Chris Weidman, who's launched his own podcast since his injury. And Ariel asked him, how do you like booking guests? So, John, how do you like booking guests? I hate it. I hate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's the story. But it'll come back one day. Just, Just waiting for the right time. All right. We're going to end the small talk at two in the morning. So thank you to everybody for tuning in to the UFC 271 post show. Check out the discord, the best place to, to just live 24 uh, seven with, with all of the post listeners. Okay. Brandon just has a permanent residency on, on the discord as does Phil, our man, Neil, Eric Marcotte, Dickie Bird. They're, they all can be found in the discord. And uh, that is going to wrap things up. Postwrestling.com, your one true destination. And that is it for us. Thank you for tuning in to the UFC 271 post show. Goodbye.